Mr. Lenin's pyjamas. Red? Lenin? No, 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 they were sort of mauve when I took the train with him from Switzerland to Petrograd. Remarkable mind, Lenin. Terrible at tiddlywinks. Hi. Hi. I'm Jeffrey Davis. I'm Ethan Gibney. And this is The Eighth Door, a Doctor Who podcast. In about Doctor Who. It's about Doctor Who. It's been a while since we've seen you. It's true. A and normal amount of time between episodes. Yes, but for us, it's been a... Uh, it's been... Uh, has it been actually been a month? Uh, I don't know that it's actually been a m- well. Two uh, weeks ago, two weeks we ago. posted the blooper reel. Right. Two weeks before that, okay. There we, we go. were supposed to post. Right, and then storm warning, and then awful things happened, which I am currently guarding against with my special technique of timing what we're saying and then making sure everything's cool. Of pausing every once in a while to check on it and then cutting that part out. Yes. So, uh, we are doing, finally, finally, in this sweltering heat wave. It uh, is dumb, stupid hot. <laughs> it is. In, in Michigan. Early, mid-June. Yeah. It's, in Michigan. Yeah, which means if you've ever been to Michigan in the summer, I mean, I'm sure you think, oh, they have beaches. But there's a big section of the state that doesn't. Most of it. (laughs) Yeah, most of it, in fact. And when you live there, it feels like you have gills. I really wish I was joking. I mean, I can stand heat, but there's a thickness to the air that feels almost like you're swimming through Vaseline. The humidity is, I would describe it as bellowing forth from Kagaga the fog beast <laughs> who is waiting for the return of his 10,000 thinglings to finally humidify all the surface of this place that's the roar of Kragaga. <laughs> <laughs> just for a second, that was a Frank Oz voice. <laughs> just just a hot little second there. I'm like, he's going to go into either Miss Piggy or Cookie Monster. <laughs> so, Jeff, you want to hear a fun fact? Yes. I'm not going to spend that much effort keeping us on track. You know why? Why? Because it's been more than a month since I listened to this audio play. It's true. It has been more than a month since I've listened to this audio play, and while we highly recommend Storm Warning, which is the name of it... I already said it once. I I didn't say it as the episode that we're talking about, (laughs) but I said it. Right. So, uh, Paul McGann in Storm Warning. We are talking about the first Big Finish audio adventure featuring the 8th Doctor, Storm Warning. There there we go. Which is not the name of the Doctor, it is the name of the story. (laughs) The Doctor is Paul McGann. My name his is Doctor Storm. Is Doctor Storm Warning. Hey, wait, his name is Eight. Yes. <laughs> okay. Just don't worry about it. Okay, I'm um, not going to worry about it. It is the first story to feature companion Charlie Pollard. Pollard. It is the first one to feature a uh, Vortisor named Ramsey. <laughs> yes, the Vortisor. It is the first big finish audio to feature the Sonic Screwdriver. Mm-hmm. It is the first big finish audio to feature colonialism. Really? Yeah. That's probably not true. I don't actually remember yeah, what the first yeah. handful were. <laughs> But it's definitely uh, there's it's a big finish that that touches on a lot of big political ideas, which yes. thankfully I have all written down, so I can regurgitate them for you. So first, I'm going to go ahead and and talk about Paul McGann's Doctor. It's um, the first yes. big finish audio yes. to feature a theme song 
composed by film composer David Arnold. Ah, yes. David the theme Arnold. song for The Eighth Doctor and Pick Finish was composed by David Arnold. You know him from doing the music for Casino Royale and Hot Fuzz and Independence Day. <laughs> Independence Day. And Sherlock. Ah, uh, Sherlock. Which is probably the thing most of you will actually recognize his music from because it's a pretty good theme song. It is a pretty good theme song. He composed the theme for this, and he has actually since said that he would like to try it again, because he's not really so keen on what he did before. It is a little um, overly, um, not bass as in the instrument, but bass as in the frequency, heavy. It feels weighted. Yeah, and uh, I think he recognizes that, and I would be interested to hear what he would come up with these days. Um, I'm sure the whatever theme, if they let him take another crack at it, would be probably uh, among the top 10 themes, I would guess. I think this was 15 years ago, so if nothing else, he's got 15 more years of as a composer. Right. So that's good. I mean, since then, Doctor Who has happened again. It's true. This was before the new series. This it, w- is it was. Tying in with that, this is the first Big Finish production, mm-hmm. therefore, that takes place after the events of the TV movie. So we are in the middle portion of uh, what is often called the great hiatus um i remember the great hiatus (laughs) it was of oh a year to a different year (laughs) a year is the one that's 30 days sometimes right uh depends on which planet (laughs) mars tune (laughs) mars tune the the planet Mars, Jupiter. Jupiter, yes. Uh, I think a year is thirty days on Jupiter. Mars, Jupiter, private Mars. horse salesman. I want to know what happened when you said Mars tune because it sounded like you tried to do like some weird glottal apostrophe. <laughs> Mars tune, Jupiter. It's like Mars Jupiter. <laughs> so the eighth doctor. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the Eighth Doctor. You would. I would. I'll let you. Oh, good. You just... I'm going to talk. Just guy just with... guy with notes. And cinnamon twists. Here's my cinnamon twist. Paul McGann's Doctor usually runs into the same series of adjectives. Romantic. Charming. Generally passionate. Candid. Open. None of these adjectives are wrong. He is certainly, out of the classic Doctors, the most emotionally accessible, both in the sense that he is emotionally accessible to other characters in the narrative, but he's also emotionally accessible to the audience. McGann's Doctor is incredibly relatable. Beyond the dulcet baritone of McGann's delivery, this is a Doctor who seems to be able to be self-effacing without being patronizing, encouraging without being condescending, and righteous without being sanctimonious. Want to hear a fun fact? What? You use those words emotionally accessible? Yes. Big Finish's website also uses those words. Really? They describe him as passionate, direct, sympathetic, and emotionally accessible, but notes that these traits are balanced by feelings of self-doubt and weariness of the endless battles. Yeah. Yeah, there is definitely a, a tiredness to Paul McGann's performance, which he deploys expertly. I mean, uh, Paul McGann, I think, is, and we've talk, touched on this before, I think is out of all of the actors, with, I'd have to see more of Capaldi. But, I mean, Paul McGann's choices are among the strongest yes. as far as like acting choices are concerned. His anger 
is the most emotionally interesting of the doctors. Yeah. Because it is rare, it is not a vindictive anger. It is an anger of despair. Right. He genuinely just wants you to not do the thing that you're doing. He doesn't want to have to fight. The BBC describes him as effortlessly charming. <laughs> A romantic figure, which is right. correct. The term romantic, in this case, ter- referring to romanticism. Right. And I'm glad you brought up, actually, romanticism, because I have here written. Uh, it's easy to look at McGann and think, young Verter, or any yeah. Byronic hero you please. Um, there's certainly enough ruffles there. Um, it's an easy enough conclusion to leap to. Um, in his wild Bill Hickok costume. <laughs> yes, his wild Bill Hickok costume. I have a lot written here about uh, the doctor as far as how he perceives time and how he builds knowledge through time. Um, I may go into that later. I may not. But I think the seventh and eighth doctor, for me, are very special. We get this very different sense of experience. The doctor of course, is sharing the experience with his, compa- his with his companions, with his comrades, with the NPCs of the story. Yes. Um, but he also is experiencing something on another level. And with McGann and McCoy, you never lose that. Paul McGann and Sylvester McCoy, and arguably David Tennant, experience time in a different way. And we see this sort of visually represented in, say, The Waters of Mars, where David Tennant gets like that instant update, you know he can he's able to perceive the the consequences of his actions. Um, he can see what must be, what must not be, right? What could be, what will be, right? And obviously, in an audio format, we're not going to have like a supercut that's going to basically give us that information. So the actor is sort of like, well, guess what? You get to try and convey this in a sort of subtle way. And I I contend that McGann manages to do that extremely well. Um, he's very good at playing layers um, and not just layers of like emotion, but layers of knowledge. Um, he's certainly, um, I'll go ahead and say he's my favorite. Um, what? I know. Uh, for me, uh, he's a kind of caring cartographer uh, who acknowledges that uh, he makes this sort of map of details, vital chronal details, you know, pasts, futures, um, telling people where they belong in the universe, right? And uh, he, of course, imposes a kind of symbolic violence by doing this, but he also is very insistent that he doesn't own this map, that, in fact, the map was yours the whole time. And in this way, we kind of have a slight repudiation of what the doctor risked to become in the seventh regeneration In the seventh regeneration. He was very close to giving in to that kind of Gallifreyan imperialism. And in this one, he sees the power, the sort of networked power of the Imperial Gallifrey. And then instead kind of goes, well, no, this power, this power was really yours and I want it to be yours. So here's, here's me giving it to you as much as I can. There's an interesting thing, speaking of Gallifreyan power. Yes. The Eighth Doctor's time Mm -hmm. is concurrent with a character of the classic series being president of Gallifrey. Oh, yes. Romana. Romana. An extended canon Romana, sometime after she leaves and finishes traveling with the Doctor, becomes 
high president of Gallifrey. Right. And it is interesting to, I was going to say watch, listen <laughs> as these things come about in the Eighth Doctor stories, while at the same time we learn that on Gallifrey, Romana is implementing sweeping reforms right. to reduce the Roman forms, <laughs> as it were. For example, right. non-Gallifreyans are allowed there now. And that's a big Which deal. Which is not necessarily a totally popular decision. So, uh, so we've talked about the Doctor. We've talked about a little bit about Big Finish. Um, I guess that leaves the episode. Warm storning. Warm storning. All right. So, warm storning. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, storm warning. Uh, so the thing with storm warning is there's a lot going on. Yeah, there sure is. So what's going to happen with this is that we're going to largely give you some broad strokes yeah. stuff. We're not going to go beat by beat, yeah. even though that's how my lines are done. <laughs> my notes are done, I mean. Um, actually, oh, they're, they're your lines. It's okay. Actually, <laughs> before we talk about the episode, yes, we should talk about Charlie. Yeah, we should talk about Charlie. So let's talk about Charlie. Charlotte Elspeth Pollard, Edwardian Adventurous. I mean, can you can you get a better business card title? I don't think <laughs> <you> title. <laughs> it's it's not the name on the business card. No. It's just at the top. It's at the top. It's it's like an Edwardian adventurous, right there. Bam. Charlotte Elspeth Pollard, Edwardian adventurous, has decided to say stuff everything and go off on some adventures. Mm-hmm. She met a fella. And he told her that you haven't lived until you've been drinking alcohol at sunset in Singapore. At the Hilton, I think. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. Uh, The Singapore Hilton. The Singapore Hilton. The balcony. And she said, I'll meet you there on New Year's Day. And he said, that's hilarious. You're 12. (laughs) She's actually 19. I was about to say, is is she 12? I know. Wait, what? (laughs) This got real weird. No, she's supposed to be 19. Okay, good. This guy said... Yeah, that's silly. You're hilarious. Right. And she said, well, stuff you, then I'm going on my own. Right. And so she got a cabin boy drunk, took his clothes, and sneaked aboard the R-101 airship to escape England. That R-101 airship, that sounds uh, very fancy uh, and historical. Uh, what in blue blazes are you referring to for us Americans? It's an airship from history that disastered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that verb? <laughs> disastered. Disastered. Okay. Yeah, that's a good verb, way to undergo disaster. Yes. Uh, dis- so it disastered real hard into France. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just right into it. Despite right. what the doctor says, and despite the point of this episode, right. there were actually eight survivors. Mm-hmm. Even though the doctor says that there were none. We won't worry just, about it. I'm not going to worry about it. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's just. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine, guys. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, <laughs> Charlie is official TV canon now because her name comes up in that little mini episode with the Eighth Doctor, The Night of the Doctor. Ooh. Early ideas for her character. Yes. Had her as a travel agent from the fifties. Travel agent. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that as much. You'll notice that that's not what they went with. Yes, because it's not as... as Oh, your cat's going to come say hi while you're in the middle of recording. That's Because it's not hot enough, you need a 40-pound ball of fur. (laughs) Oh, God. Don't do it. 
Oh no. You heard me 40 pounds. I mean, that's what he feels like. My cat is a gigantic Russian blue orange tabby mix that, oh, of course he's, yeah, you're adorable. He's cuddling up. He's cuddling with me, clearly, because I'm feeling... has decided that it's going to cuddle up with Jeffrey. In the midst of this heat, let's see if we can track how long it will take for Jeffrey to finally say, Welp, I'm dead now. And he's the one that's okay with heat. I am the one who's okay. I mean, because I'm not melting. I'm just, I just feel sticky. So I was going to say a thing, but it... No. You, know, you know, sticky like Sunday morning. Right, sticky like Sunday morning. Okay, so Charlie is also quoted uh-huh. as saying that all war is a crime. Oh, in case you wondered about her personality. Yes, that's. I think that's quite illustrative, and I think uh, it's pretty pertinent considering storm warning. Because uh, the, it's about a war against the sky. Right. It's. <laughs> It's it. I mean, the denizens of the R101, the ill-fated ship w- which is going to crash into France, uh, is sort of like England's Hindenburg, if now, you will. Let's be fair. Wait. If France hadn't been in the way, the R101 <laughs> would have been fine. Clearly, it was just France taking up too much room. I think if you ask any uh, any Brit, they will be the first they to agree with you. <laughs> I'd be like, well, well, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so, so uh, we got our, we got Charlie, we got the Doctor. Our story begins. Our story now. Our story begins. Our story begins on the TARDIS with the Doctor looking yes. for the manual. Yeah. Because, well, who knows where it is? He lists off some books. He finds a copy of Frankenstein, which will come in later in his arc. It's true. The TARDIS emergency stops. Womp womp. And the Doctor says, "Gah." And he runs to find out what the matter is. Yes. Out there in the vortex, mm. a spaceship is exploding and reforming repeatedly, eternally, caught in a chronal loop. That's fairly horrifying to uh, die for an eternity. Here's a quick example of how the Eighth Doctor talks. Ah, yes. Eighth Doctor dialogue I love. Yeah, it's really, really dynamite. A glitch in space-time hiccuping through its last moments forever. What a terrible way to never die. I like it. Then it gets swarmed by vortisaurs. Vortisaurs, now. Flying dinosaur critters what live in the vortex and eat time. Or time-addled kooks. Yeah. Or such. There's a lot of critters in the vortex. They just love to eat. Yeah, I mean, you know. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love to eat the time vortex? Those delicious, delicious paradoxes. Nom, nom, nom. So, uh... Every he- time I say paradoxes, it feels wrong. Why? Because it feels like that shouldn't be how it pluralizes. Oh, it should be like paradoxi? I don't know. Like... I don't know. Parad- paradox- Paradoxes? Paradoxities. Streptococcus. <laughs> no, I, I, we don't have room for a caucus. It's my living room. And your living room. I was going to say... Anyway, yes. The doctor says, "Well, hey, you vortisaurs. Yes, Terrasauria vortexfera. <laughs> don't uh, don't be don't be eating on that shipwreck. That's right. I'm gonna do a. Oh no, they're trying to get in. Yes. The doctor's dimensional displacement system is failing, and the vortisaurs are trying to get in. Right. Cut to 
Vampire News. Yes, and we, Where get, we get a quick rundown of what the R101 is. Done by Mark Gatiss, if I'm not. A mighty dirigible bigger than any vessel on the seas, let alone the sky. Minister of the Air Tamworth is aboard. Minister of the Air is a great Three title. Key speeches about the inaugural flight. And, the, and, it, and, and it does the newsreel thing. It says, what, Hello, what's this? The minister's favorite Terry wants to be aboard too. Sorry, scamp. Scamp. I don't, I don't have... The quote ends at wants to be aboard too. But I remember him saying sorry, and I'm just appending scamp. You know what? I mean, that's. I think the probability is very high that 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 (laughs) animal was named scamp. (laughs) And that Um, announcer is, as you correctly recalled, Mycroft Holmes. Yes, Mycroft Holmes. Mycroft. Mycroft Holmes. Yes. Mycroft Holmes. To name myself. Mark Gatiss. None other than. So that's cool. So, what happened? There's here's the thing. There's stuff that happens. Here's the thing. What? Here's the thing. What? Charlie is posing as a cabin boy. Right. And she gets yelled at. What? She's journaling. Memoirs right. of an Edwardian adventurist. She says this to herself. It's very it's like yes. she's adorable. narrating to us, the audience. Yes. Slash herself because it's audio. Yeah. What else are you gonna do? And her ostensible superior it's OS it's a degree below your CO <laughs> somebody who thinks they're your CO but isn't yeah no that's a real rank um, sounds like a nautical term he bangs on the door and says you there what are you doing and, and Charlie starts to answer but she uses the wrong accent and she tries to recover and it's great it's great and then we come back to the TARDIS the doctor does a clever little move where he just kind of swoops the TARDIS near the crashing spaceship. Yes. And all the Vortasaurs follow him. Womp womp. And the momentum of them nudges the ship just off its time tracks. Right. Allowing it to die. Finally. Merciful death. Which is a fascinating choice. It is a fascinating the choice. The doctor allowing death. Right. Uh, because he, it is the peaceful option. He's relaxing his firm deontology, in, or at least his firm Kantian deontology, in, in favor of something a little bit more permissive where you have the permissibility of mortality. Um, Though I I guess you could probably argue from a Kantian perspective that it would be okay to let the people in the eternally not dying moment finally die. But that's a whole other ballgame. So yeah, I think it's a fascinating choice. Let's get out of the game theory board. (laughs) Uh, I called the D20. (laughs) Game theory board. God, was he even a game theorist? (laughs) <laughs> but I like the idea that any thinker can be just subject to the game theory board. Just, just like, any, all right, you know anything, what? Anything where we have to decide between two options. Right. Just get the game theory board. Let's prisoners dilemma this shit. <laughs> we'll just go. We'll just run it through. It's like it's like flushing a transmission. <laughs> so the doctor materializes aboard the R101. <laughs> I intentionally went slower just to see what you would do. The doctor materializes aboard the R101, but what he doesn't realize is that he's materialized in the gas chambers. Eventually, the TARDIS gets flushed. And it's lost to France, like so many other... Just like so many lost souls. So, Charlie, Charlie gets found out. And she's running through the halls, and she literally went into the run, run, running. 
<laughs> she done running. I tell you, do things. I'll <laughs> tell you, child. You done running. She runs into the doctor. Pork literally. Chop he goes, Gah. Mm. She goes, Gah. Mm. He helps her hide because obviously she needs to hide from something. And that's how they meet. Yes. If you want a better description of it, just listen to the episode. It's, yes. three, it's three bucks on download. It is three bucks. Go and spend that money three for Paul McGann. Three bucks. The first 50 audio plays for Doctor <laughs> Who released by Big Finish are all $50. What is your face doing? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Something just happened in that sentence. What? <laughs> what price is it? <laughs> That's for me to know. And you to go increase Big Finish's traffic to find out. <laughs> oh, okay. Because at first I'm like, it's like you you went auctioneer with that with that. It's like, and it's three dollars, all fifty of the first Big Finish stories. And then like you went forward, and then you changed the price at the end. And I'm now I'm really confused. So now I have to go to Big Finish to find out the real truth. See how clever I did that? You are so clever. Guess what? What? It's Two ninety nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what he actually said, but it sounded like a lantern sailboat. Lantern sailboat, man. You gotta get the lantern sailboat, and then you go down there in the sea. That's when you look for Chikugumunga. <laughs> the name changes every time. His other name, his other title, other than the fog bearer, mm-hmm. is. The Marquis of Typos. The Marquis. The Marquise of Typos. See, I did Marquis specifically because of the movie. Oh, yes. Yes. The Marquis of Typos. Yes. The Marquis of ty- Typography. Kakagrafka. <laughs> I know you didn't mean it. That's what makes it funny. <laughs> okay. Corgi Gogo. Corgi Gogo. Corgi Gogo, the bandolier god, has crack a leg. I give a dog a bone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best. Okay, let's see if I can do it. Okay, broad strokes. There's a mysterious passenger on the ship. There's a mysterious passenger, and we the, don't know why the ship is actually happening. There's a South African spy, and there's something strange going on. They're stopping way before they get to Karachi. Right, Karachi, <laughs> Karachi. <laughs> Hand me that Karachi ranch. I don't even drink. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the minister of air knows what's going on. His men tell the guy that designed the ship. Right, he he's won't real tell cranky. Him why it was made to carry an extra bunch of load. Right, and then uh, the South African uh, Rothbone. Rath, yes, that that's right. right. The Basil Rathbone see, connection. See Rothbone. Rothbone, yes. I swear um, they go between Rathbone and Rothbone. But the they name is a pun, do. guys. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get it later. So here's what it turns out. Turns out it's aliens. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Turns out that the British government has a prisoner? Diplomat. Refugee? Refugee. Diplomat, Diplomat works. Yeah. Something. This critter, the wow. passenger, the passenger, was sent by its people, the Triskeli, Oh, that's right, the Triskeli. To bring back some folks yeah. to help out. Yeah. Because the Triskeli got some problems. And they come in the flying saucer. The sighing flosser, yes. Yes. 
<laughs> Listen back to the blooper reel, guys. <laughs> I did it. I, I, I'm actually more distressed by the one I just did. Oh, it was much more distressing this time because you were just kind of poking the back of your upper lip. <laughs> yeah. Going, <sighs> yeah. And I'm just sort of giving you a dead stare while I'm doing it. And wearing a rabbit mask. I still don't know why you're wearing that thing. I don't know why you've been wearing it for the whole recording. I, you know, I'm not even going to ask because I respect your life choices. I just want the audience to know. So there's a flying saucer. There's a sighing flosser three miles wide. Three mi- That's that's really big. Yeah. It goes for like, miles and miles and miles. I, I, I can see... Sorry, it's two miles wide. Liar! <laughs> it's two miles plus is what I have in my notes. You Decepticon! Frailing, who designed the R101, observes that it must be at least two miles wide. That's not his voice at all. I was just... <laughs> I... I I think it's a good approximation, though, because he is basically every colonial gentleman. No, Frailing wasn't so bad. Yeah. Fr- oh no, Frailing was the engineer, wasn't he? Yeah, he designed the thing. Yeah, he wasn't Tam- bad. Tamworth is the Tamworth. one who's really complex, actually, as it turns out. Yeah, he just doesn't seem complex for most of it. And Rothbone then, uh, is the most. Yeah. Colonially, because he's like, I can use this thing to own everything, and, and that seems pretty great to me. And because I'm from South Africa, I have entitlements to whatever I believe. I don't actually... I'm not able to do anything near a South African accent. I haven't heard enough real one. Weirdly enough, in the Spider Lab, so fun fact for the audience at home, in the Eastern Michigan University uh, area, there is a Spider Lab that is right near where a whole bunch of students congregate called McKenney Hall. It's actually in a building. Do we also have a Bat Lab or did I make that up in my brain? No, we do have a Bat Lab. We do have a Bat Lab. The okay. Bat Lab is much more cool. We also um, have a squirrel-proof building. It's true. Uh, but we have a Spider Lab which has an African Goliath bird-eating spider in it that and hisses... it has a South African accent? <laughs> no, it just hisses at you and it gets real cranky. But the person who takes care of it has a South African accent. So if you want to listen to South African accents, just go over to the Spider Lab and try to pet the African Goliath. And you'll get yelled at. Yeah, and you'll get yelled at. South African accent. Yes, exactly. See? You two at home can learn a South African accent. If you travel to Ypsilanti. And go Break into a graduate lab. And then pet the most giant spider you've ever seen in your life. It is so terrifying. It is. It's legitimately terrifying. And I'm not even afraid of spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we apologize for this episode. No. (laughs) I'm not even going to do that. Guys, Jeff apologizes for this episode. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize because I'm going to own it. I'm going to own the fact that both of us are too hot. Both, I mean, I actually have extremely articulate notes, I will have you know. Like, I, I oh, resisted... Oh, my notes are fucking great. <laughs> I resisted going into polychronal epistemology because I didn't want to bore people. <laughs> but you know what? If it comes right down to it, I'm just going to pick up that tablet and I'm going to start reading. <laughs> and I will recite Vogon poetry to stop you. So, let's, so, Jeff, what's the deal with these aliens? Right, so these aliens... The Triskeli. Yeah, they're a th- political thought experiment. Um, hey, you notice those first three letters? Try. Yeah. yeah. T-R-I. You know what that means? Uh, Four minus one. <laughs> yes. Or in some circles, I-V minus one. Minus, minus I. <laughs> no, no, minus one. <laughs> I-V one. Okay. Uh, 
or or in some circles that we call stupid math circles, IIV. I, I'm 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 moving on. That's a thing I found in books. I'm I'm gonna move on. That's all I'm gonna do. So. <laughs> The Triskelia the, the are a political thought experiment. They have, they have apparently been governed by three branches. You have the creators and the uncreators. The creators are, of course, engineers. And they build everything. The uncreators are this warlike race that are held in check due to the lawgiver, the legislator. I forget what the third branch was. This is basically the person who is the executive branch. You know, this lawmaker who... Yeah, it's the lawgiver. Lawgiver. Um, who is sadly dying. And so the Triskeli have come to Earth because they came to, came to Earth before, and they want to figure out, hey, maybe we can figure out a way to replace our lawgiver. So already we... I mean, there's a lot of political things going on here. The, the one that came to us is told to bring... One of each. Right. A potential lawgiver. Yeah. An uncreator and an engineer. And they all have to be human. Yes. That is the key and part. And on all three counts, our friend the passenger failed. Yeah. He brings Mr. Tamworth, who, this is where he gets complex, Right. hates war. Yeah. So they, they're like, oh, you're an uncreator. And he's like, no, I'm not. I actually really hate war. I think they get it right with the creators, though, don't they? With the engineer frailing. Yeah, that one kind of gets kicked over to the side. Cause Which it's is sad. Less interesting to the story that it got one right. Yeah. And then it fails because it brings the doctor as a potential lawgiver, but you know who ain't human? The doctor. The doctor. Yeah. That so, two-heart motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. What, what is that with a bivascular system? What the hell? What are you, a mollusk? What, what are you, just, what, a, just a space mollusk uh, flying just in a is, blue box. Just red. Just saving pedestrians from Kraglagov. <laughs> Leaving your mollusk slime behind. That's not right. Uh, <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> what What was that? that? That was a callback to famed 80s and 90s comedian Kevin Meany. <laughs> so... There's there's sort of a political thing going on here where you have this sort of weird colonial setup, in, even in the science fiction, right? So we have the common colonial concept of, well, the, there's these highly quote-unquote advanced people, and yet somehow their politic is so fragile that they need us. They need some sort of guiding force to guide them, you know, some sort of uh, political figure to help organize them. Um, and I, when I first heard this, I kind of got, I got a frowny face. I won't lie. I'm like, oh man, I mean, do we need to repeat this kind of, you know, the, the weird other needs saving again? Um, thankfully, thankfully, uh, even though it kind of punts on the end, it still manages to salvage some sense of justice. Um, which by the way, it's a science fiction story. So the lawgiver ends up croaking it. Thanks to an ill-placed shot by the real antagonist Rothbone. Rothbone, who remember that pun we mentioned, yeah. has the name Roth in his name. Yes, which for our American listeners is Rath. Roth. Rath. Roth. 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 Bone. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the uncreators really like really freaking love Rathbone. Yeah, because he's just got a heart full of molten lead ready for war. Yep. And he straight up causes an inter 
planetary incident by trying to take us to war against the Triskeli. Right. And it almost works. Pop quiz, who wins? Uh, I would have to say... Is there a winner? I think the winner is peace. They yep. managed to they managed to get past it. Correct. You successfully found out my trick question. <laughs> you may proceed to the next challenge. Oh, good. Um, How many quartz does it take? Wait, what? <laughs> to get to the center of a tootsie pop. <laughs> a one splish, a, a two splash, a three melt, um, a three. <laughs> So the doctor teaches people to roar, and that wins the battle. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> the uncreators are afraid of anger, I guess. I don't remember. Um, it well, was explained. They they don't have the same kind of rationality that the That's creators right. do, and they are driven on by, by instinct. Yes. And so by amplifying their predatory size, they're able to intimidate uh the entire uncreator race apparently so what happens well um, tamworth becomes the new lawgiver and he expressly uh tries to say that we need to structure something that's a little more sustainable guys yes he says he's not, he's going to help them recover from the system they've been in <laughs> right and maybe create a better one yeah so he, he he's there in an advisory capacity only. Right. Which I think is a better a better thing. Yes. Um so there's also like in the Triskeli I'm gonna go ahead and bring this in and y- y'all are just gonna have to live with it. There's some classic, like classic Freudian psychoanalysis here. So Sigmund Freud has this famous tripartite division of the psychological self, id, ego, superego. The id referring to the basic impulses, instincts, and libidinal desires. The ego referring to the kind of stable sense of rational self. And uh, the superego being a kind of paternalistic mediator. Well, it, it doesn't take a rocket genius to figure out that, that most of the Triskeli is just sort of the Freudian subject writ large. I mean, we have the ego in the creators, the id, in the uncreators, and the superego in the lawgiver. And uh, the sort of mapping. I, I think it's an interesting theme. And I I always get a little bit like suspicious of, of Freudian psychoanalytic subjects. But in this case, I mean, for science fiction, for introducing people to themes of governance, it's not the worst thing. So, uh, and Paul McGann, of course deftly weaves through it and the rest of them kind of tread water and do well and the person who uh plays charlie pollard who's the actress i can never india remember fisher. thank you india fisher does a great job of sort of having the interplay so the doctor and company end up saving the day for the triskeli but well they get back to the r101 they're celebrating they carried the day and frailing has an alien device capable of wiping out civilization and the doctor says <sighs> give it back. No. Give it back. No. Rothbone, give. <laughs> <laughs> and Rothbone's like a really stubborn Jack Russell. And there's a chase through the airship that ends with the R101 getting destroyed. Because <laughs> yep. Rothbone blows up some gas. Yep. And Remember uh, those Vortisaurs that were there the whole time? Yep. <laughs> So uh, that we absolutely discussed repeatedly in this episode, not just the one time. 
Right. There's been a, a subplot of this thing where one of the Vortasaurs followed the Doctor. Right. And it's kept showing up, hovering around, causing problems. And the Doctor and Charlie escape the R101 by flying away on a Vortasaur. Because the Doctor mentioned that back in old Gallifrey times... Back in the Academy. Back in the Academy, uh, they used to ride these things around all the damn time. Just, just, just of, a, of a day. Yeah, it's like, oh, let's uh, we've finished doing our quantum calculus, let's go ride a Vortasaur. Yep. Just like God wanted. <laughs> Make Gallifrey great again. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. oh, no. Uh, yeah. So uh, they find the TARDIS because Vortosaurus can spell time. The end. The end. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. Yeah. Here's the problem. Here's the whole of Charlie's character. Not the whole of her character, but the arc of her character. Yeah, like, this This introduces the problem there of There were Charlie. supposed to be no survivors. Womp, womp, womp. Charlie survived. Womp, womp. That's what we like to call a plot hook. Yep. So what's time going to do? Titles. <laughs> yep. And Paul McGann stresses out about it. So, oh, that was, whoo, looked up, and then there was a, at least you're not a nun. Yet. Are you the Marquis of Snakes? Seriously, though, that's such a good such title. Such a great title. Of a, of, a, of a demon. We saw The Conjuring 2. We saw The Conjuring 2 today. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't have great feelings about the uh, Warrens, but I really like the fictional portrayal of them, and I think James Wan did a good job. So there we are. It's a good movie. It's a like horror movie. You should go see it. Yeah, it's like a truffle mac and cheese. I'm gonna keep comparing it. It's, it's, it's it, it won't reinvent. Well, it's because it won't reinvent your world. It's not like revolutionary, but I mean, it's a really good meal. You're like, yeah, no, I could truffle mac and cheese, man. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. It's a better sequel to The Exorcist than any of The Exorcist sequels. <laughs> oh man, <gasps> I've sat through those. I mean, so tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Those those sequels are abominable. Anyway, so, going back to the topic at hand. Oh yeah. So weren't we? Gronginol. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I said Doctor Who. What did oh, you think I said? Uh, sorry, I thought you said something a little more Promised bloody. Land. No. <laughs> That's how Storm Warning ends. We promise it's good. Yeah. Actually, I mean, despite the fact that we're both melting from the heat and that uh, we kind of made a hash of it where and then it's been more than a month since we listened to it sure there's a lot of good things to say about storm warning and uh, I highly recommend you go out and seek out especially to get a taste of Paul McGann because I think Paul McGann's doctor needs more recognition especially in the audio play area people gotta be aware yeah. Big Thank Finish you. has been doing some really great storytelling with the Eighth Doctor. Yeah. Starting right at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. With so, this. With this, Storm Warning. It's good. If you're looking for a jumping on point that isn't Storm Warning, yeah. start with uh, Blood of the Daleks, part one. That's got uh, Haley Adwell in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, isn't she that one uh, famous agent? No, I don't think she was in Men in Black. What? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Peggy Carter. Yeah, that's Peggy Carter. If you're looking for a more meaty story, meaty, go ahead and start with Dark Eyes. Yeah, Dark Eyes. Uh, that's the, a, the the starting one doesn't have a number, yeah. and then after that, the numbers are in order. <laughs> so start with the first one. 
That's helpful. And meet Molly O'Sullivan. <laughs> oh, yeah. An Irish vad from World War One. Yep. She's pretty great. So what are, what are we doing next? So next time... Ethan, correct me if I'm wrong, right. but we are circling back to the, to the first Doctor. Yes. Right? Our, we, uh, we, because we did our Bloober episode last time, yeah. we're not going to do it next time. Right. We're going to go ahead and go back to the beginning. Right. We're going to do a story called Planet of the Giants. Isn't that the one with real science? Yeah, well, it's one of a couple. Oh. Science that holds... With nice. bugs. With bugs. And Charterston doing science. Oh, I'm really... You know, gl- the science teacher. I'm glad that Chuttleworth finally figured out how to science correctly. Yeah. So, I just, you know, it's a pretty good Chaz episode. Chaz. Chazerton. Um, <laughs> so, good. Uh, I am looking forward to starting the cycle anew. Uh, to becoming like a phoenix. To... Limping along, erupting in flame, and then emerging from ashes, reborn. Behold your glorious beginning. Behold my ignominious end. (laughs) The Empire never started, Jeffrey. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So you can find us. Yes, you can do all sorts of finding us. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at at the eighth door. That's the number eight, T-H- Door at eighth door. <laughs> I realized I said it wrong the first time. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with it. You can also find us uh, at on Facebook. In fact, we're on the Facebook at just the eighth door. Yeah, just spell out spell out the words. Spell them out on just your keyboard. Spill the words out onto your keyboard. With there'll be a picture of our logo, and there'll be a picture of William Hartnell. Yep, and with just user flangelettis and. Uh, <laughs> Just Flangeletti <laughs> is my least favorite magician. It's just so pseudopody. Flangeletti's. <laughs> you guys missed what I my motion. No, they didn't. No, it was it was great. It was great. I was real. Zoidberg. Uh, you can also find us in the email. Yep. Eighth door podcast. Eight t h. Door podcast at gmail. Dot com. <laughs> You can find the two of us on Twitter if you want to talk to one of the two of us. Uh, I can be found at... The voice of Siri followed me on Twitter, which is surreal. Surreal? <laughs> uh, you can find me... You snapped so hard my laptop went to sleep. <laughs> Look, uh, I the doctor can open his TARDIS with a snap. I can just make laptops. <laughs> You gave me such a fierce <laughs> glare. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't talk about snapping, Jeffrey. Not since the incident in Krakow. Uh, with with Cucklemunkamung. <laughs> and his all-girl band. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at stranger as in uh, stranger in a strange land really uh, uh, <laughs> it was the first thing that came to mind it is the only Heinlein book that my I... favorite is Saint Ranger Piace <laughs> oh Saint Ranger Piace because <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, well, it sounds like uh, one of those failed 80s adventure uh, shows um, <laughs> yeah I'm Saint Ranger Piace so stranger uh, as in Saint Ranger, 
and uh, you know that common phrase. Yes, and peace, as in piace. Uh, you get it. And then you're found on Twitter. I'm I think. on the Twitter at mr like mr James, but different. Uh, Gibney, which is just my last name. Right. G is in George. Right, and I, it's it's a hard. It, well, is it a hard or a soft G? Is it giblets? That's a soft G because it's always backwards of what I think it is. Right. Apparently, G is a hard G, which I don't understand because that strikes me as being softer than J. Regardless, it's right. the one that GIF is supposed to be said with. I will GIF. fight you. No, I, I don't like GIF either. I mean, that's a peanut butter. It's a peanut butter. It's also not how any of the words involved in GIF are pronounced. Right. So there we are. That's where we are on that big internet controversy. Uh, is it so much a big controversy now? Because I think I think we've just, settled it. I think it's just boiled down to Will Wheaton and Chris Hardwick fighting. <laughs> Rate us on iTunes. Ah, there's the one. Give us a comment. Yep, we've got one comment. Oh, do we? Yeah, that's good. One of your people. Good. I'm glad. See, that's how that works. Yeah, we we do it one at a time. One at a time. Give us more. Don't don't get greedy. One at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they're bad. Yeah, please. If they're if they're bad, please let us know. We love. I personally love. If you have bad comments, give us a review, and tell your enemies. Yeah. Inflict if you have us. Good things to say. Give us a review. Tell your allies. If you have neutral comments. <laughs> right. So. Uh, your, your cat is asleep sitting up, but just looks like he's being disdainful of our presence. Uh, congratulations, you've just identified the personality of my other cat. So I have two cats. Uh, there's three cats in the house. Two of them are mine. and uh, This one is the one that looks like that orange and white droid. Yes. But is named after that other guy. <laughs> he's, well, he was originally named after <laughs> Adventure Time. But yeah, his name is. Finn. I know. I know that his name predates the Force Awakens. <laughs> no, I, I. I. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm prescient. I knew. I knew the whole thing, going in. Ethan, I know. And I have to live with that knowing. Every day. Every. Single. Day. Shut out, Mapes, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is Jeffrey Davis shout-outing the mapes <laughs> right there in your ears. This is Ethan Stiff Upper Lip Gibney <laughs> signing 